Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is June 3rd, 2014, and this is broadcast number 63. And in my hot little hands, I have probably one of the first copies of a book that's just been released from the Banner of Truth Trust on the selected writings of Benjamin Morgan Palmer. And a humorous story about that before we get into the actual discussion and who we're going to be talking with, um, as though those of you out there who follow this podcast regularly don't know already. Interesting story. I was at the conference last week, the Banner of Truth Conference up in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, and of course, I'm looking for the new book. We know it's coming, wondering where it is. They have this huge bookstore, and it wasn't there. Well, anyway, long story short, it shows up on Thursday morning, and all the attendees, or many of the attendees, or a significant number of, of the attendees were, were uh, clamoring around the unopened case of books like Piranha. It was amazing to see. Anyway, so I walked out of there with three copies, and as those of you who follow this program know, I will be giving away a free copy of this book at some point during this discussion. But not now. You'll have to wait until later. So keep listening, and I will give you a promo code at some point during this broadcast. You email me that code, and the first one to do it gets the book signed by the editor, who happens to also be our guest uh, this afternoon, Dr. Nick Wilborn. And he is an adjunct professor of church history here at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. We've had him on before to talk about other things, and I do want him to just remind us uh, as we get into this up front about the class he's going to be teaching this summer, the summer theology course that he'll be doing, just in brief, and then we'll launch into this discussion with him. But more about that in just a minute. As I say every day, every day, as I say on every program about this particular point, don't forget about the GPTS mobile app, the confessingourhope.com website, and of course, gpts.edu. So there, I've covered, I've paid the bills that's all been taken care of, so now we can do something more interesting and talk about this book that is, uh, um, I haven't even read it yet. It's that new. So this is going to be an interesting discussion, but thankfully this time Dr. Wilborn provided me with an outline. For those of you who listened to the last one and know the... Uh, the I was fully in control of that one. Well, thankfully he was muted, so no one heard that. <laughs> You want to try that again? Oh, I said I, I was thankfully fully in control of the last podcast. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, which is fine. I don't mind. Um, that's that's fine. Anyway, so uh, Dr. Wilborn, it's great to have you on. Um, I know this was, this is an exciting book. Um, it was an exciting project for you to do. And um, I guess up front, as I already said, why don't you tell the listeners you know, just in brief the class you're going to be doing again this summer. Yeah. Because it does connect. There's a relationship here. Sure. And then we'll move from there. Y- yes. Uh, July 28th through August 1. So it's uh, just uh, a month and three weeks away, I guess. The uh, Southern Presbyterian Theology course, a course that Dr. Smith taught for 55 some odd years. And uh, now I have the privilege of teaching it. And uh, so we'll be, uh, be covering theology of preaching and certainly when you talk about the theology of preaching among the Southern Presbyterians, mm. Palmer's name comes up front and center. So we'll be looking at his some of his sermons as well as talking about just, the, as I said, the theology of, of preaching that those men held to. 
Um, we'll also in that, and already I'm, uh, you know, I've had a, an email from Jackson, Mississippi, an email from uh, from Birmingham, Alabama, an email from uh, uh, Macon, Georgia, various places of of folks who are not students but have seen the advertisement already and uh, are planning to come mm. and sit Good. in on part or all of the class and uh, participate in the two days of tour in Columbia and Charleston. And as you indicated last time we talked, uh, you're going again. And uh, uh, one of the callers uh, or, uh, just last week said, uh, uh, I don't know if you'll remember me, but I was on the first tour you did back in 2002, I think it was. Mm. And uh, we want to go again. So uh, what do we have to do? I, we're going to sign up, and then I guess we'll get information. I said, sure, that's how it that's how it works. And that is how it works, just uh, contact registrar. And I'm sure you can do it online as well. But uh, And they'll then help with the information on, yeah. uh, you know, suggested housing options in Charleston for that one-night overnight stay, as well as the locations we'll be doing. Um one of the sites I'm adding that students have not been to with me in recent years is uh, South Carolina Library on the campus of University of South Carolina and the Rutledge Chapel there on the Horseshoe on the old campus. And uh, those are haunts of James Henley Thornwell and mm. uh, in his teaching discourses of truth. And, uh, and so it's, it, it looks, it's going to be fun. Yeah, the library, that's where they'll lose me. They'll take off, and I'll be still enamored by the all the books and the history. And now, I just had an email from, from the archivist this morning saying that he had the time spot set aside for us and had uh, right. the Thornwell materials and some photographs, some portraits they have mm. of Thornwell ready to display, and so everything's in line there. Well, of course, all of that leads <coughs> us to today's main event this book selected writings of benjamin morgan palmer um the name may be familiar to many um i didn't know anything about this particular man until i came to greenville seminary uh, which uh, is because i grew up in the north and before i receive any comments about being from the north i just cut to the chase we don't talk about that stuff up there um too often but no in all seriousness i wasn't even in the reformed faith so i would not have had any reason to have heard anything about this man, which in some sense is a pity. Um, but, Dr. Oban, why don't you tell the listeners who maybe they know, have heard of him, but don't know a whole lot about him. Yeah. Well, you know, you're not alone. I had actually yesterday returned a phone call as I was driving to a Presbytery exam committee meeting in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And as I drove, I was returning phone calls using my hand-free device. So, no no phone calls or emails, please, about my dangerous driving. But uh, I returned a phone call, and I didn't know the man. He told me the connection. Someone had recommended he call me about a, a pro book project he was working on and just wanted to talk to me about it. So I did. And we talked a little while, and he said, uh, Oh, I know who you are now. <laughs> and I said, what did I say? He said, you didn't. It was, it's your name. I said, uh, 
I just real I just bought a book by you. No, not by you. Here, where is it? It's you edited it. It's on somebody I don't even know. Benjamin Morgan Palmer. I said, "Oh, the selected writings." Was this he a southerner yes. just out of curiosity? No, he was from uh, Massachusetts. It figures. And uh, he said, "I was at the Banner of Truth conference last week, and I saw this the scramble for this book that was <laughs> new in the bookstore, and I thought, well, I guess I need to get that." And I asked someone. They said, "Just get one," and said, "So I just did." Said, "So I, I've got to read it now and find out who this man is." So hopefully, a lot of people like you in your former life and this gentleman in his present life. We'll learn some more about the good things of B.M. Palmer. Yeah. Uh, Palmer was a, was a uh, Charlestonian. His uh, father a minister. His uncle, who's his namesake, uh, Benjamin uh, Morgan Palmer, uh, was a minister of the gospel, both in the Charleston area, the low country, as uh, they call it, and uh, grew up in a godly covenant home. Uh, well-educated, like a lot of southern little southern boys. He was uh, sent up north for, uh, for some education. There was still, uh, in their view at that time, still some distance between the, the, the uh, advanced you know, graduate education up there and, and what uh, the universities were affording down here. So he went to Amherst College. Uh, there he falls into a company of men, including Henry Ward Beecher, who is his a little bit older than he. Uh, also another fellow from a border state, Kentucky, named Stuart Robinson. And uh, you know, when you just say, you just think, boy, at a at a small college at the time, Amherst, that you had B.M. Palmer, Stuart Robinson, and Henry Ward Beecher. Of course, the Beecher name is is historical you know in american history it's well noted from Mm -hmm. um from books and ministers and controversies um and so you had those three men there and and palmer to be brief palmer and beecher would often debate issues and um they uh they both had reputations as being uh the best debaters on the campus uh and and Beecher was very uh, flamboyant. Beecher was very, uh, very much tugging at at emotions on issues, and Palmer was said to be the 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 Demosthenes. Uh, he was the he was the eloquent one. He was the logical one, and uh, according to uh, those who looked on, often won the debates. But uh, we weren't there, so we don't know if that's true or not. He uh, he left up there. Uh, in fact, in some controversy, uh, was what we'd say today expelled mm. because he was not willing to uh, give information about uh, a little society that he had taken a vow to uh, to protect. And uh, he gets back to uh, Charleston. His father has heard of it in advance and will not let him stay at home because he's he is he's sinned and uh how old is he about this point uh he's 17 okay and uh so long story short he ends up repenting 
and uh, being welcomed back by his father and uh, off to the University of Georgia, which during that period uh, just rounded off 18, uh, 1835, right along that time frame. Uh, the University of Georgia was a, a highly respected already university in the, in the southern states and uh, uh, had a family there of educators that was famous throughout the country, the Waddle or Waddell family, depending on how you pronounce that. And uh, finished there, went to the, uh, to the seminary and at Columbia, and from there uh, immediately was picked up as pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia. He was there just a brief time when probably the most important church in the South the Deep South, uh, First Presbyterian of uh, Columbia, called him to be their pastor. Uh, it was an important church because South Carolina was very much the capital of the Old South. Mm. Columbia, being the capital of the capital, was important. Uh, there was a major university there, University of South Carolina, or South Carolina College, as they called it then. Uh, it was full of politicians. He was preaching every Lord's Day to the politicians of the state. He was preaching to the university students of the state. Uh, he was preaching to the seminary students at Columbia mm. Seminary just mm -hmm. a couple of blocks away. Uh, one of the buildings we'll visit uh, briefly on the tour. And uh, there he stayed 1843 to 55, helped them build the building that's presently there. And so when we go there to that building, we'll, we'll be standing in the building where Palmer preached, where Thornwell preached, Jarrett preached, as well as uh, Woodrow Wilson's father, Joseph Ruggles Wilson, preached there, and numerous others. He was then called away from Columbia after some real stress over what to do. Presbytery didn't want to lose him. Um, but the Presbytery out in the southwest in New Orleans finally convinced the Presbytery back in South Carolina that they needed a man like Palmer uh, to be right there on the gateway to the to the West mm. and in a major port city. And so from 1856 till 1902 when he died, he was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in New Orleans and uh, just had a, a remarkable, uh, long, uh, fruitful ministry there uh, right up until his death, which was due to injuries from an accident he had with a streetcar, which he didn't win. But uh, he preached uh, many important sermons in the pulpit. He preached a lot of addresses, public addresses outside the pulpit, and uh, was was revered as, uh, well, he was declared the, the man of the century. Uh, hmm. The, the state figure, uh, at one point, uh, he preached a very uh, important sermon at the turn of the century, 1900. It's just called the Century Sermon. And uh, uh, just a, a, a marvelous, long, blessed ministry. Like all men, has his clay toes. And uh, if we want to pick on those, we can, we can, we can do that. And, and if if we're not careful, we'll lose out on a lot of the good things. Uh, that's what I was telling a young man last night. If, if we want to parse every man's life, 
real closely, we can end up dismissing everyone yep. and not accepting anything that good that they ever did. And uh, we'd all be much poorer for it if we did that. Palmer would be a man like that, without a doubt. And nevertheless, there were many great qualities about him. Well, much has been written. Obviously, um, <clears throat> people who know a little bit about Palmer know about his preaching. They know about his influence, especially in New Orleans. And, and I'm sure I'm not saying New Orleans the way you no people in New Orleans say it, so you just have to forgive me. I'm from the North, as I am fond of reminding everybody. Um, but anyway, um, he had a, a very prosperous, um, God blessed him richly in New Orleans, obviously many years there, more years than I've been alive, if my math is correct, there pastoring. Um, I guess the question is what, besides his preaching, what was it that made him so well-respected? Because he wasn't just, if I understand his life well, he wasn't just respected among the churched, but even the unchurched oh, yeah. really loved him. Yeah, well, there's, there's at least three, three times in his life, one in, in Columbia, at least twice, uh, perhaps more, in New Orleans, when uh, the cities, both cities, uh, but we'll talk about New Orleans particularly, both cities uh, uh, experienced outbreaks of malaria. You have to remember this is a time when they, they still don't know what's causing malaria. Uh, they even think perhaps it's communicable. Um, and so it's a, it's a dreaded disease. It, it had terrible effects on the body. If you read about malaria, the effects it has, the swelling, it, it's, it's awful. And, uh, and there was no cure you just nurse these people and try to keep them as comfortable as possible until they waste it away and uh this is one of the areas where palmer became so uh, uh endeared to the people and uh became the beloved pastor to the city uh he took it upon himself during these outbreaks of malaria to to visit the homes mm. not just of his parishioners his members but of all those in the city, as many as he could get to, and they were they were required to to put a a, a, a an indicator in the window if there was the the black uh, plague, if there was the malaria, and uh, so he would go and hunt out those homes and and go and visit with the dying in each of those homes wherever that was taking place. And so you can imagine it, it wouldn't take much of that before people began to recognize his, his, uh, his sympathy, his empathy, his, his love and concern for people. And so it was said at his death that there were, there were people from all sectors of New Orleans life present at his funeral. Um, he, was a, he was a stout Presbyterian. There was no compromise. Uh, no one thought from B.M. Palmer that you, you should be anything other than a Presbyterian. <laughs> and yet we're told that there were Roman Catholics, that there were Jewish representatives, uh, as I said, all sectors, social strata of New Orleans were present for his funeral because of, of that. And then there's the um, interesting story of the lottery in New Orleans. Oh. you got to tell that. Yeah. Well, no one tells it better than uh, Dr. John DeWitt, who, by the way, wrote a wonderful little uh, and, and delightful forward for this uh, selected writings. And it was very encouraging during this process. 
but uh, since Dr. DeWitt's not here, I'll try to tell it. Uh, they had a lottery in New Orleans. Um, and uh, on an occasion, uh, Palmer was asked to speak to the issue, and he did it publicly. And uh, upon finishing, there was uh, much activity, as you can imagine, sorted responses. Uh, but it's recorded that there was a man running through the streets, and the lottery was was uh, was uh, funded by uh, stocks and uh, the sale of stocks. And and so uh, a man ran by a friend and said, "You better sell your stock in the lottery." Mm. Why? Because Doctor Palmer has spoken against it; it shall surely fail, and it did, and the the lottery collapsed um, out of that episode that's the kind of influence he had I, let me go back to the malaria and and serving the 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 sick you know that was not that was not altogether just his his heady intellectual theology that was driving him but dr palmer by by you know the second and third uh outbreaks of the malaria had also already lost children in early stages of their life had buried children and had wept over their their deathbeds and their their graves and um, you can read about it he wrote a delightful little book which should be uh, required reading ernie reisinger used to i remember the first banner of truth conference i went to uh pastor reisinger was there and he was introducing someone and before he did as the custom is to hawk a book you know pitch a book and and he he was saying about Pilgrim's Progress that uh, you know he wasn't sure you could get into heaven unless you'd read it. So you should go buy it. And well, so I'm people, in big trouble then because I still haven't read Pilgrim's Progress. Okay, well, I admit it. Shame on you. You can't graduate <laughs> until you do. And so people would go flood and buy books that that Ernie would talk about. And uh, I feel similarly to Palmer's Broken Home, the Broken Home. Uh, he tells the story of those five of his six, five of his six children who died in childhood or teenage years, and of their faith, of their lives, of their death, mm. of the, the family ties. It's, uh, you know, buy a good box of Kleenexes, the kind with the heavy aloe in it, so it won't, you know, scruff up your nose. And, it, it, and, and just enjoy uh, it's great pastoral theology, and you'll, you'll, you'll be blessed by it. But that's part of his experience made him a good pastor as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's theology, as you're talking, just thinking about his theology and his understanding of Scripture was driving these issues. It wasn't uh, his life wasn't, it wasn't a compartmentalized life. No. It was theological, and it was lived. Um, and that's why people... I mean, I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul being all things to all people, and in a sense, that was what Palmer was to those people there in New Orleans. A very difficult time as a man who experienced difficult times as well. Well, tell us about the book. How did this come together? Yeah. Um, it's really been a while because we, we had, uh, at, 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 a, at a point, we had a difficulty finding a publisher. Uh, I had a 
phone call from a young friend, pastor friend of mine, Caleb Cangelosi. And he said, you know, I've, I've come across in reading the life and letters of Benjamin Morgan Palmer by Thomas Carey Johnson, which, by the way, I would recommend that you buy. I understand Banner still has a limited number of those still in stock, and so you should go online right now and buy one if you don't have it already. And if you have it, you should read it. But in reading that, Caleb had, had seen some references by uh, Dr. Johnson to, um, to some articles that he had published in the Southwestern Presbyterian, which was a, a, a very typical rag of Presbyterians back then. You know, they published a lot. They would publish pamphlets and booklets as well as books, and they published uh, weeklies. Some of them published monthlies, some, you know, quarterlies of some kind, journals, but also like newspaper format. And the Southwestern Presbyterian was in that sort of format. And uh, so it, it made him curious, and, and, and he began snooping around, and he, he came up, he found it, and uh, was able to, to get a microfilm copy yeah. of, mm-hmm. of the Southwestern Presbyterian and find a number of those articles that Palmer had written. And he began transcribing them. Just putting the headset on, and or or putting it up on the screen in front of him, and then typing. And so he typed all these. So I mean, he's the one that should get most of the credit on this. Uh, and so uh, inside, you'll read that it was selected by Caleb Cangelosi and uh, edited by yours truly. And then in the acknowledgement, I I explained that he's the one that deserves the bulk of thanks for doing the hard work of transcribing these from, uh, in, in many cases, very poor quality mm. microfilm. And then we had a, a couple in our church at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Oak Ridge who took up the task to take Caleb's work and the microfilm and compare to be sure that, you know, there were no scribal errors. Yeah. And... Uh, and then I went through it because they all had questions as to what that word might be. And in some cases, it it, it was just simply words that we no longer use. Uh, they were just old words. Um, and uh, I was able to verify, no, that's the word. You've got the right letters. We just, they're not, it's not in a present day uh, dictionary. But you can find it in the uh, English, hmm. uh, the Oxford English dictionary, the OED, and so um, uh, you 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 find there's some footnotes attached that I went through and installed to help explain some things and their time frame, the historical context for some of the things he said, as well as some words are are noted, not many but a few to help people read a little more easily. So Caleb uh, got this thing going, and and so I began editing and reading, and I was I just fell in love with it and uh, so I began the search to find a publisher and uh, Rick Phillips and I were talking one day Pastor Richard Phillips at Second Presbyterian Church here in Greenville and and he said oh, you know Banner of Truth is just about to publish something I've just uh, written and uh, here's who I've been working with and so I just sent him an email and said hey Here's who I am, and here's what I've got. And you published his life and letters, yep. Palmer's. Yep. And this might be a nice 
little companion and, you know, reintroduce and invigorate some, reinvigorate some interest in Palmer. And so they uh, took it, and Jonathan uh, Watson uh, very graciously read it and responded that he liked it and that he would like to uh, take it and consider it, and they did, and they did, and now, now we have it. Now we have it. I've got three copies here in my office. One's mine, though. That, I can't give that to anybody. But I do have another copy for some listener somewhere in the world. And I guess that's that. this is the moment, right? Probably the best time to do it. Anyway, as I indicated on all the social networking sites this morning, if you listen to this broadcast and you write into me, here at Confessing Our Hope at gpts.edu. That's Confessing Our Hope, all one word, at gpts.edu. A first listener who writes in with this promotional code in your email. It's very simple. It's apropos. But all you have to do is write New Orleans Pastor. That's it. You write that. Send it to Confessing Our Hope at gpts.edu. The first email I receive that has that will get a free copy of this book. And it is signed, no less, by our guest today. So, again, New Orleans pastor, write in, Confessing Our Hope at gpts.edu, and you can have a free copy uh, uh, provided by the Banner of Truth um, for your benefit, edification, reading. Don't just stick it on your bookshelf and say, I have it, but read it. And the reason you should read it is because of the contents. And, and I do have a question about that, Dr. Wilborn. These were previously unpublished, or were these, these were originally in the Southern Presbyterian and then yes. lost, somewhat lost, right? Yeah, right. So they've now, never the, been published since. No. They've only, they only appeared in that time frame, 1869 and 70. That's the, the dating on these. And... Um, and then, of course, the Southwestern Presbyterian went out of publication. It went into obscurity in, in you know, libraries, mm. historical archives. And uh, as I said, it was just really, I mean, I've read the life and letters. I've seen the reference. Uh, but Caleb had the, 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 the idea and the energy to, to go fetch them and uh, make them readable and— uh, and so it was. Uh, it was. It was wonderful to work with them, and they're 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 on different topics. Let me just go ahead and comment on that. Yeah, sure. One is um, one section is called the pastor's portfolio. That's mm. what the headings were as they appeared, and he wrote on different pastoral issues that he encountered and tells you the story of of uh, what the situation was, the pastoral context, summer of church members. Some of our, our unbelievers, uh, some are of people dying on their deathbed. Some are uh, of uh, uh, drunkards struggling with with alcohol. Others, uh, you know, of, of various sins. And it's about how he counseled them. So it's it's pastoral counseling mm. uh, in the homes, in his study, uh, in other in places of business and. Uh, you know, each of those are, are, are very short. You know, they're written as a column. So you usually had one or two columns in the Southwestern Presbyterian. 
and then so they take up usually about three or four pages in the book. So they're not lengthy. It's it makes for nice, easy uh, reading. Yeah, you can read it before you drift off yeah. to sleep at night. Even there's a set on the Beatitudes where he did a little devotional exposition on the Beatitudes, and uh, uh, there's just some remarkable insights there. Some some beautiful application of the Beatitudes to the Christian life. It appears that Dr. Palmer was. I don't know how to even put this. There's part two is on foreign missions. And that's in the in the whole section is 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 that. Yeah. Um is what's the background there? I mean is was he very um much involved in foreign missions? Uh, we, yes. In 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 the eighteen thirties, while he would have still been a a teenager, uh but there was a, a, a great rise of interest both at Princeton uh and at uh in the early years of Columbia Theological Seminary, 1831 and forward, once they had moved from Georgia to Columbia. And then when Thornwell came along as a young minister in the, in the church, which was then, of course, one church, the PCUSA. Mm-hmm. It was not the divided church as it later became. Uh, Thornwell was very instrumental uh, in beginning uh, a... Uh, foreign mission society to aid young men in the south in going to the foreign mission field and palmer as he matured uh he's six years junior of thornwell so as he matured and became uh, an active minister he picked up on that same uh, uh theme with great zeal and became very very in- instrumental in in supporting and sending missionaries. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting because of so much was going on in his life at that time that he was still outward focused yeah. on the foreign missions keep front. In, keep in mind, when those were written, 1869 and 70, that was during Reconstruction. Hmm. The war had ended. Uh, the South was uh, coming out of, out of the war years, as I said, still under Reconstruction, very hard times, limited resources, and uh, what resources they had, they were building roads, trying to put bridges up to reconnect roads. Uh, railroad was demolished. They were trying to uh, you know, get the railroad back up and going. And yet the Southern Church was very active from 1866 forward uh, in sending missionaries mm-hmm. to Brazil. The Southern Church had a, had a great presence in northern Brazil, and uh, you— have over your years here, <coughs> excuse me, met some of the young men out of northern Brazil who've studied here and uh, understand that their heritage flows out of that commitment of the southern church, uh, Brazil, Colombia, uh, China, a number of areas. Hmm. And so uh, it's in that context of reconstruction that he's writing those and encouraging and exhorting the church to not lose its spiritual emphasis, and that emphasis not only to preach the word from the pulpit weekly here at home, but also to send men to the ends of the earth. So, interesting. That's the context for that. Just a curiosity question. It has nothing to do with missions, but I was just just struck me. Um, is the building still standing in New Orleans? No, it's not. No, it was. Uh, <clears throat> the, it, since you bring that up. When he left New Orleans, 
or when he left Columbia, rather, to go to New Orleans, he was instrumental in building the building, as I said, in Columbia, and he then was instrumental in helping them uh, build a building in New Orleans. And when you see the pictures, they, they resemble one another, mm. uh, the two buildings. Oh, really? uh, they're different, but there is a very strong resemblance. But it was, uh, it was destroyed later in the uh, – early in the 20th century. And mm. so the uh, – if you go to New Orleans now, there is a First Presbyterian Church, but the building is not the building where Palmer preached. Well, that's a pity. That would have been a neat historical site to mm-hmm. actually see. The book goes on, and just looking at the table of contents, goes on. You've already talked about the Beatitudes. Then it gets into this section on Christian par- paradoxes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, this gets into the things I was going to do in a wrap-up, but it's okay. Welcome to the world of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing goes according I, to plan. <laughs> as I said earlier, if he's known for anything, it's as a great preacher. Yeah. Yep. Um, Dr. Doug Kelly, years ago now, it's it seems remarkable to say that it was many years ago now, that the Banner of Truth published uh, Preachers with Power, uh, Four Stalwarts of the South, uh, Thornwell, Daniel Baker from Liberty County, Georgia, John Gerardo, another Charlestonian, and Palmer. And, uh, of course, the emphasis of that book for Dr. Kelly was the preaching, Preachers with Power. And um, he was known for that. Uh, he was recognized by a Scotsman who traveled uh, after the war years to New Orleans. And uh, in his book that he wrote, The Scotsman, he makes the comment that when he landed in New Orleans and heard Dr. Palmer, both Palmer's dress and his preaching reminded him of Scotland, mm-hmm. that he felt like he had returned to, the, to, to his Scottish Kirk roots. Mm. And uh, and how remarkable he was in the pulpit, but and I, I I would suggest that one of the reasons many of us today are not as powerful in the pulpit as we as we could be is because we're not as powerful in our total man. Uh, and I'm not just talking spiritually, but I'm talking about just education-wise. Palmer was a philosopher. Palmer was a theologian, uh, and so when you get to the Christian paradoxes, you didn't know, you didn't think I could tie all this together, did you? When you get to the Christian paradoxes, well, I didn't know what you were going to do. When you get to the Christian paradoxes, you realize that this is a man with keen logical powers, and his philosophical uh, strength, as well as his theological strength, to answer the questions of the people on the street who say, look, this seems to be contradictory. This can't be true and this be true. And we know they're both true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this thing of there being a true truth. And so in there he goes to show that, oh, you're talking about a paradox. And you, you have trouble understanding how this and this hinge mm. together. Well, let me help you. And he works you through it. And as I said, they're brief. I mean, you just... You read it and you think, wow, I, I could have written a 30-page paper and not said it that well. Right. And, and had people more confused than, than when they what, started. When they started. Yeah. Um, and so Palmer is, again, that's showing the breadth 
of his pastoral concerns. He, he didn't just, you know, visit people and enjoy uh, tea and pie and, uh, and read a little scripture with them, although that's certainly worthwhile and maybe all you need to do sometimes. But he was also fully engaged with, you know, what are your concerns uh, where are your doubts? You know, and helping people with their doubts is a great pastoral mm. uh, need. So I was going to ask, you know, what made him such? I mean, we remember him, and and I think the first thing that comes to mind for those who know a little bit about Palmer is that he was a powerful preacher. Um, and I was going to ask you, but you kind of answered it, I think, in some sense. But I think there's probably more to it. Uh, but what made him such a powerful and impacting preacher? Well, I, I was hearing an interview as I drove in today of a gentleman, and I didn't catch his name. It's one of those interviews I got into the middle, but apparently he's recently uh, published a book on uh, Robert Murray McShane. Uh, hmm. If anybody's curious, I did catch this. It's published by Reformation Heritage Books, and uh, the minister who compiled and wrote the book is uh, from North Carolina, and a similar question was asked of McShane, who, if you know McShane, know he didn't live the long life that Palmer did, but is recognized for his 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 piety and his power in the pulpit. And the answer that was given by that gentleman, I think, answers your question about Palmer, is that. He, his, his great desire was to glorify God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in his whole life. Hmm. And he found himself totally dependent on the triune God. And, uh, you know, early he preached from manuscripts. He shifted because he felt somewhat restricted by that. And and later testified that it was one of the great freeing things to preach extemporaneously. Now, before somebody jumps up and down, he still <laughs> prepared thoroughly. He rehearsed his sermons. He 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 wore out trails on his fine uh, area rugs in his study, where we'd he would walk from corner to corner diagonally to 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 rehearse and to put his sermons together. And so it was not like he went in the pulpit. Not sure what he's going to say. He knew every word he was going to say. Mm-hmm. It was just part of his heart. But it also betrays what I just said. He was he was completely dependent on the Spirit of God, and I think that's that's the answer. And it's a great lesson for those either training for the ministry or in the ministry. Um, I remember even Dr. Piper um, making reference to the fact that um, yeah, he tells the story of one of his elders who. Uh, <clears throat> said to him one Sunday after he preached a particularly uh, good sermon. Uh, I wasn't there, but anyway, as the, as the story is told. And uh, he says, Piper, why is it you always preach the best sermons when you don't have enough time to prepare because of things going on in the week, uh, funerals and, and, and pastoral issues, and so you don't have the time you'd like to have? And that's when he realized that, because in those times he was very aware of his dependence on the Spirit, and recognizing that's the kind of attitude you got to have oh, yeah. all the time. Absolutely. In preparation, uh, if you got all week, doesn't matter. We have a, 
a dear friend and a yeah. We have a guest in a, in studio and today. A semi-retired pastor but sitting here. It's not here. TV, so they can't tell. And and he could testify the same. I have in my life. You when you go in the pulpit and there's the story told, uh, and I, I all of a sudden draw a blank on who tells the story, but of the young minister that that uh, in the presence of an older minister ascended the rostrum. Uh, well prepared, full of himself, trotted up the steps, <laughs> preached a miserable, failing sermon, and s- dropped his shoulders and, as we would say in Alabama, slunk out, you know, down from the pulpit. And the old pastor said, had you ascended the pulpit the way you descended the pulpit, you would have preached a better sermon. Mm. And it was that humility, it was uh, total dependence in God and not in self. So yeah, well, it's a great lesson and a great reminder. Um, it is to me, um, as someone who's in the process of going in that direction, maybe. Uh, but um, for those who there, um, it's important. Let's talk about some of the highlights of this book. Um, yeah, this isn't just a discussion of so that we can sell books. I mean, obviously that would be nice, um, but there's reasons why this book is valuable. Um, and there's some interesting quotes that help illustrate really the substance of the book. And I know you've handpicked some already, yeah. so why don't we go through those um, quickly, and then uh, and then we'll move from there. Yeah, let me do that. Um, this this is one from the pastor's portfolio, and this is uh, I think actually the the first uh, article. And Palmer tells the story. During the epidemic, that's a reference to the malaria outbreak in 1867, a pastor in the city of New Orleans, that's a reference to himself, was just leaving his study to attend the funeral of one who had fallen a victim to the pestilence. A crumpled note was placed in his hands, requesting him to repair immediately to the couch of a dying stranger. So he goes on to say that, so he took it, and when he was finished at this funeral, he went to this home. And he begins. The first thing he said is, uh, Mr. M, he always guards the, uh, the privacy of these people. You don't get their names, just initials. Mr. M, do you know how ill you are? This is a lesson Palmer learned early with his own children in their death stages, was the importance of addressing them honestly about the imminence of death and the certainty of death. And so you see how here... He goes right to the issue. Do you know how ill you are? I mean, there's no sugarcoating, no, oh, you're going to get better sort of thing. Yes was the quick answer. I shall soon pass the bourne whence no traveler returns. Are you then prepared to die? Palmer asked him. Alas, no, sir. Fell upon the ear like the knell of a lost soul. Will you then let me pray for you? And the man assented. And then he tells him, he says, well, Mr. M., your pious parents have taught you the gospel. I would just remind you of of what the gospel is. And he he quotes the scriptures to him. And the man replies and says, oh, sir, if God would just spare me from this terrible agony and from, from death, I would serve him. And Palmer rejoins, says, my dear friend, this is the last device of Satan to destroy your soul. I tell you faithfully, there is no future for you in this world. 
You're now passing whilst I speak through the gateway of death, and what you do you must do at once or be lost forever. To this appeal, the only answer was a deep groan, and then he says the man slipped into an apparent sleep. And then he says a few minutes of silence intervened, and then he seemed to come awake again. Mr. M., do you remember the story of the penitent thief upon the cross? His time was short, just as yours is, but one brief prayer, not longer than a line, expressed his faith and was enough. So you see, it's never too late. At this, the closed eyes were opened, and the first word of hope fell from the parted lips. No, it's not too late. Thank God, it's not too late. Mr. M., do you now trust in the Lord Jesus? Yes, I do. He is my Savior. I'm not afraid to die, rung out upon the startled listeners as though a note from the song of the harpers had fallen from heaven into that chamber of death. There was another silence of a few seconds, this time a silence of wonder and joy. It was broken by the dying man as he turned upon his side and whispered, Will you write to my father? Yes, certainly. What shall I tell him? Tell him... I have found Jesus, who pardoned my sins, and I am not afraid to die. He'll meet me in heaven. It was his last utterance, for in the next moment the soul that had passed through this fierce struggle into the second birth winged its separate flight and stood before the throne. And then he says this, The whole interview thus described was shut up within the limits of fifteen minutes from the moment of entrance into that darkened chamber till the tenantless body lay in its cold sweat to be shrouded for the tomb. Mm. So it, it's a, not only a great story of God's mercy saving a man right before he slipped into eternity, but also the faithfulness of a minister to go into a, a terrible situation and to speak honestly and yet uh, gently uh, to a man dying without Christ and to see God's faithfulness there. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. Um, wow. And, it, and you, when you're, you're telling the story, and it, it, it's coming right out of the book, and, and when you're relaying it, it, it you forget uh, easily, I think, that we're not talking about modern 24, 2014 confines or any of that kind of Thing. We're talking about 18, late 1800s um, type of um, culture and, and context, mm. and, and it's easy to forget, you know, get, kind of divorce yourself from those those situations. What else? Yeah. I know you've got others. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. I mean, we could do this all afternoon. Yeah, we could do this all day, but, but we, we, well, we let's, just read the, let's just read the book to the listeners. And yeah. We'll, yeah. Um, well, you know, the, in this in this pastor's portfolio, there's, there's a uh, – they're not all – Unfortunately and sadly, they're not all that same good ending. Uh, for instance, uh, the universalist death. And this is about a young man who had bought into the idea that, oh, we're all going to be saved in the end. You know, God's a God, a good God. He's an all-merciful God. He'll save us all in the end. And... Palmer relates his conversation with him and how the man died in unbelief. 
And then he says, The foregoing appalling sketch is given almost in very words in which it was delivered to the writer by a venerable minister now standing himself very near the eternal gates. Across the track of more than 40 years, he calls up this frightful specter, which flitted before his vision a moment, then plunged into the dark abyss. Reader, it bids you beware how you trifle with your last opportunity, lest it become to you a lost opportunity. Mm. And uh, well, and so you know, there's those kind of challenges to the readers to to um, make sure your election and calling, as Peter would say, or uh, as Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, be sure that you you be found in the faith. Mm. So he has those kind of stories. There are conversations with young students, students who are just entering upon life, having finished college life, and they're all, you know, proud and self-reliant, and and his helping them, helping them overcome doubt about. Here, this young man says, "Oh, the Bible's so full of mysteries which I can't comprehend." And so Palmer's response is, okay, like what? Hmm. And so the young man finally comes up with something. And so um, he then explains to him. And uh, and so and it just it goes on and on. And then, of course, as I said, you got the Beatitudes, some just wonderful little uh, moments that he takes you through, through each Beatitude uh, little by little. And uh, then the Christian paradoxes, as well as those wonderful letters on uh, on foreign missions. So uh, you're just going to have to get the book, have to get the book, and read it. And I think just in this, and like I said, I haven't had a chance to read it. I just got it a few days ago, as it were. Um, when did I get it? Last Thursday. Um, but I look forward to you know setting this by my bedside table and reading it before I go to bed at night. And, and, and as Dr. Wilborn has already indicated, that the, the sections are, are small enough where you can just read one section a night and, and maul on that, and sit on that. And we're not trying to glorify Palmer and, 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 and elevate him to some superstar stat- status. He, he, I think he was that. This was a man, as Dr. Wilborn has said, had, had, he said clay toes. I guess that's <laughs> less than clay feet. But anyway, point is, is that he was a sinner and he struggled with sin, just like we do. Um, but he believed in his God. He believed in the theology that he was taught. He lived it. And these writings show his heart. One writer, um, one man who's obviously read the book already, comments on Facebook. I just got this, actually, and I think I'll share this with the listeners because this will help you, I think, understand a little bit more if this discussion hasn't done that already. But he says, I cannot commend, recommend this book highly enough. Most of it relays... Palmer's pastoral counsel and encounters with people, his sympathy with sinners, genuine compassion towards them, and pastoral wisdom are without parallel. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so if just for that reason, whether you're a minister or whether you're, you're not, it doesn't, this is valuable stuff, valuable material that God in his providence has preserved for over 150 years, give or take, uh, for the church today to to digest, and and what a pity it would be not to do that. I mean, the book itself 
number one, is not expensive. Number two, I'm not exactly sure how much it is, but it's not expensive. Um, it's 205 pages. You could read this book if you read one section a night. You know, to give you some idea, the first section is four, four or five pages long. And so you have 34 sections. So 34 days, a little over a month, and you've consumed this valuable resource, this pastoral counsel and wisdom, um, which, as one person has said, is unparalleled. So I would encourage the book um, to, to get in the hands of everybody. Maybe encourage pastors to buy a handful of copies and give out to their elders. What a great gift to give to men who are counsel, who are charged with the shepherding of God's people. Um, perhaps elders buy a handful for their families that they, they shepherd. Um, what, a, what a wonderful resource, and, and um, very thankful to uh, Caleb. I'm going to say his last name wrong, so why don't you say yeah, it for him? Caleb Cangelosi. Cangelosi. Well, very thankful to him and for Dr. Wilborn for editing this um, this very uh, timeless treasure that we now have in our hands, previously unpublished except for that period of 1869 to 1870. Anything else? No, I think I've said plenty. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good talking about these kinds of things. I always learn as I'm sitting here. I, you know, I don't go into these discussions as an expert of anything, really. I, I'm I make things up as I go, <laughs> and, and but I always learn, and I take notes, I jot things down, and um, but I look forward to reading this book, and so should you. So uh, how can they get a copy? I've already mentioned Banner of Truth, of course. I think that's the, the primary place and um, that you'd want to go. Um, BannerTruth.org is the website. Now, with that in mind, um, I will have a link to it on the ConfessingOurHope.com website. So... I've already, in fact, done the website. It's just waiting for me to push publish um, at the conclusion of this interview when I actually clean up the audio and do all that stuff. But um, the link will be there. So it's very simple. Just click on the title of the book, and boom, you'll be taken right over to it and buy it. Now, if you run into a problem there, as if they're out of stock or or whatever the case may be, keep in mind the book just was just released, so they're probably working on updating that. So um, persist if you must, but get a copy of it. And those uh, who were listening earlier, remember the promotional code. I'm not going to say it again, but email me that code. The first person to do gets a copy. Free, signed, postpaid, no strings attached. You have to read it, though. So do read it. So... Dr. Wilborn, it's always great talking to you about this stuff. I know your passion for church history, especially Southern Presbyterian history, is obvious in the classes I sit with you, sit in with you, um, and and learning from you over the years. Uh, it's always been a joy. I love church history personally. Um, it's something that I, I, I wish I knew more about, and um, so I'm thankful for these little snippets of church history um, and it, to help me frame my own ministry, Lord willing, in the future. It's always a, always a blessing. Coming up on the program, I don't know. I don't care right now. Just go to the website, confessingourhope.com, if you want to know more about what's coming up on the program. We have some things lined up. I do have a discussion lined up with Pastor Bill Shisko. He's an OPC minister up in Long Island. We're going to be talking with him about elder training, something that I think probably could be done better. Um, and so the church should benefit from it. I've seen some of his material, so I look forward to talking with him about that topic 
um, on how do you train men who are called to the office of elder? What do you do? And so we'll be talking with Pastor Bill Shisko, and in, 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 I think it's in a couple weeks, actually, on that subject. And there's other things that we're working on, and we're always working on lining up guests for different topics. If you have any ideas, suggestions for the program, you can write me at confessingourhope at gpts.edu. Uh, good things, bad things, that's fine. Um, I read all of it. I don't always respond to all of it, but I, re- I read it regardless. So send it to me at that, that email address, and I will... Um, be glad to get your feedback. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition, a dis, uh, discussion on a brand new book put out by Banner of Truth, Selected Writings of Benjamin Morgan Palmer. And I hope it's been edifying as it's been for me just listening to this, this material. It's been really a blessing, and I hope it is for you as well. So until next time, we thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.